You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Then I want to invite you now then to the book of Revelation, to the second last chapter in the entirety of the Bible. And so if you have a device, make your way there. I encourage you to join us and as we share regularly, we open the Bible and, and we quote one of our heroes, Charles Spurgeon, to paraphrase and say that when we open the Bible, something amazing happens. The Bible actually starts to open us, that, that we expose, the word we'll use is we exposit the text, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, that which is in us is exposed. And so, as is our custom, we walk through books of the Bible, but we want to take a break from that as as we try to do every couple of years and dig into what we'll describe as our DNA, what, that is who we are and what it means to be a part of Connection Church, what it is that we believe. And so this is uh, a way that, we, in, in this sense, we're going to skip to the end of the entirety of the book, to Revelation chapter 21. It's going to be the easiest one to find. You just make it your way to the end and start flipping back until you see a 21, past the maps and all that good stuff. Second to the last chapter in the entirety of the Bible. And I want to walk through it with you, and, and here are some, some places where I want you to, uh, to, to, to begin to reflect on where you might be to hear this, and, and invite you to listen in, and even greater, to invite you to be a part of this. And, and so you're likely in one of these groups. If you're in this room, maybe, or maybe you're, you're live streaming, gathering in worship, then, um, then I want to share with you, like, if, especially if you're a covenant member, you've walked through the covenant membership process, you've You've willingly laid down your life alongside the lives of others to, to say, we're going to do this together. We're going to lay down our lives. As we say, we're going we're to write a blank check and slide it across the table to Jesus and, and let him do what he will with us. And, and so that's what membership is for us. We're, we're a, a, a membership of, of people committed to be for the gospel and for our city that the gospel would go out in it. And, and so if you're in this room and that's the case, I want you to, to take this the next couple of weeks as a time where we're renewed, we're reminded, because after all, we experience a, a mission drift. It's natural for us to kind of slip away from that which is most valuable. It's natural for us to, to, to in, this, in essence, experience, the Bible tells us, deterioration, decay. In fact, death is what's natural. Death is what's coming. And as we would share all the time, like, Connection Church is constantly in a state of dying. As a church, we are dying, if not for the renewing and rejuvenating power of the gospel. If not for that renewing and reminding us and giving us new life every day, every week that we gather, then, then we're on the trajectory that's most natural in the world, which is death. And so I want you, as a covenant member, to listen in and, and be reminded of what it is that God's called us to be and to do. Maybe, maybe if that's not you, maybe you're a, an attender. You've been, you've been a gathering with us over the last several years or months or weeks, or, or maybe even online. This is one of the first engagement you've had with us. And, and so I want to, to cast a vision for you to say, here's what we believe. Here's, here's what we want to point out. This is our conviction is, as we open the scripture. Here's why we believe it, why it's important. And I want to invite you to consider doing the same thing, to simply writing a check for the rest of your life and saying, here it is, Jesus, do what you will. And, and, and come and serve and, and love our city with the gospel, with our church. But maybe you're in this room and that, maybe you're just a guest. Maybe you're one of the first times you've come to, to gather with us, or, or maybe it's the first time you've engaged with us online. And same thing, I want to, I want to consider with us, uh, I want you to invite you to consider with us the possibility of what it would look like to simply hold up the scripture and dig into something ancient and timeless. Not something new, but something that's, in this sense, ancient and old and eternal. 
And then lastly, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a believer or a follower in Jesus, and this is, this is the real fun part. In many ways, you're the reason we're here. I'm so glad that you're here. I cannot say enough. And so I want you to just, as, as a, as, imagine you're kind of listening in on a family conversation. I want you to eavesdrop. I want you to listen. You're like, what? I want, be, be skeptical. Bring all your cynicism. Bring it to the table. And just like, what are these people about? What, what, is, it that they're, what is it that they're singing about? What is it? And, and, and consider maybe that, that even at the depths of your imagination, you might begin to consider what it would look like to believe these things that have gripped our hearts. <coughs> so I want to walk through what we'll describe over the next... <laughs> there we go. For the next couple of weeks, we want to walk through what we'll describe as kind of our three core convictions, core values, if you will. If I have to do that again, you'll just pray amongst yourselves while I'm drinking water. And so uh, I, I want to invite you to, to consider these, what we find to be core themes and convictions and beliefs. They're, they're certainly not a, a full summary of the entirety of the Bible, but they're things that we see from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And the way that I want to encourage you, especially today, is by letting you see them at the end. And so I want to dig into the first one that we simply call the gospel. And I'm going to read the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 21. This is the, one of the last things that happens in the whole of the Bible. And the last book of the Bible, Revelation, is literally a revelation of Jesus Christ, you'll see in chapter 1. Now, now I, I want to just, for, for some of you that maybe you're new to the church, you, you might not realize what's about to happen, but some of the other people in the room that maybe have some background in the church, a lot of things just fired off in their head, right? When I said the book of Revelation, and some of you were like, Revelations, right? Like, okay. Uh, but we're in the book of Revelation here, and, and for some people, this, this is a lot of things that would come to mind, right? On, on, on one hand, like, some of you are ready to get your maps, graphs, and charts out, right? You're ready to, like, to chart out this book, and, and, and I just would encourage you and, and be careful here. What we see here is this is a, a book of a vision that was given to the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And, and at the end of his life, he has this vision of what is to come. And it's a word of encouragement to churches. Literally, the angels and the churches in the first few chapters to build them up and edify them because they were about to face, and we know this, the history bears this out, the most difficult time to be a Christian in the history of the world. They were about to walk through the deepest, darkest hours of persecution any Christians had ever experienced. And, and all that John is trying to do is say, look, this is happening, it's going to get bad, but I want you to see the end of the story. I want you to see the end of the story, and I want you to be encouraged by it. And so more than anything else, this is literally a revelation of Jesus. Uh, this, is, this is not, and I, I'm just, uh, this, you, you will not have much of an audience with me or many people in our church. If, if you think revelation is like a, a gift to know-it-alls, right, if, if, if you think that this is an equation you're meant to solve, you've missed the point. It's about the glory and majesty of Jesus such that we have comfort and confidence and hope in the midst of any and all circumstances, including 2020. So verse 1 of chapter 21, after he's mapped out what's going to happen in chapter 19, I encourage you to read in the weeks to come, the king comes back. He comes 
on a horse. Jesus shows up. He has King of Kings, Lord and Lords tattooed on his thighs and he has the blood of his slain enemies on him and, and he's bringing about his new kingdom, destroying his enemies. And in verse 21, we see a vision of what happens next. After the enemies have been defeated, after the people have persevered, after his people have come through difficult circumstances. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I and making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, of the water of life, without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is God's word for his people, and I pray that it comes alive for us. I pray that it becomes more than just ink on a page. The gospel, quite literally, is good news. Greek word, evangelion, where you might have heard a phrase over the last century or so, evangelical, it just simply means gospel people or of the gospel. A phrase we'll use regularly as a church is the phrase gospel-centered. We're just we're gospel people, and, and that word gospel simply means good news. Good news. It was a word used by the Romans to describe the good news of victory when they would conquer a place. And so if you have any friends who have ever uh, run a marathon or worn Nikes, you've seen the heritage of this good news of the Romans. That is the first, right, news of victory. That's what the word Nike means, right? We win, essentially win, okay? Uh, Came and and was shouted by a man who ran to marathon to tell the good news of victory. Now, for all you, my friends who run marathons, he died after that, which I believe is a how, well, what not to do kind of a story. But God bless you for what you're doing. But even that is a, a heritage of what the Romans used the word good gospel, good news. Good news, Caesar wins. And so the Christians came along and, and seized upon that, that moment, that, that movement, that, that, that sentiment that was around the empire and said, no, 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 no. You want good news? It's not that Caesar wins, it's that Jesus wins. 
and his kingdom's upside down. Whereas Caesar will send you to die for his purposes, this king and his kingdom, he will run out in front of his people to die in their place. He doesn't send someone else to win their battles. He wins their battles for them so that they'll never know that kind of defeat. It's good news. It's the gospel. Throughout the Bible, this gospel is referred to. It, it's the good news of what Christ has done. His victory, His perfect life, His atoning sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection. I can run you right even now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a place where we go regularly. Uh, verse 1, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand. So already the gospel is, is something that we're prone to forget, right? It needs to be reminded. But notice, it's something that's preached or proclaimed. It is, it is not good advice. It is a declaration of something that has come to pass, which you received. So therefore, this good news is outside of ourselves. We, we, we buck against the trend of our culture to, to find fulfillment inside of ourselves. But no, the, the real hope, the real good news is outside of ourselves. There's nothing but darkness in there, but there's light when we look outside of ourselves to Christ, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he listened, this is the synopsis Paul gives us of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, right? In accordance with the scriptures. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a plan B. God wasn't freaking out. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Again, this it, it wasn't like a, a, a plan B. It was the plan and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And when Paul wrote this, he was saying, most of whom are still alive. Go talk to them. They saw Jesus, even though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to one untimely born. And we all, we all resonate with Paul here. He appeared also to me. This is the good news that, that Christ has died, that he was raised from the dead. It is good news. Because if Christ is raised from the dead, then what else is possible? And the end of the story, which we just read, is the final, the capstone where Jesus comes back. And in the same way, he started to, to break down death and what is broken in the world in his resurrection, he returns to clean everything else up. I want to share with you some of the to consider here uh, out of Mike Cosper's book, The Stories That We Tell, there's this sense in which I want you to consider that our lives, he proposes, who we are, what we do, and what we believe ultimately about the world are less about rational thoughts and more about the stories that have captivated our hearts. Let me say that again. Who we are, the language used in the last few decades of psychology, the word identity, right? Our identity is less about rational thoughts and more about the stories that captivate our hearts and imaginations. That the stories that enchant us, that we're enthralled by them, we're mesmerized by them, they affect how we see the world. They're the stories we believe are true. And what we mean when we say gospel is that God saves sinners through Jesus. And that this is the most captivating story. And what this means to be gospel-centered means that this is the story 
that we rehearse, we remind ourselves with this story. No other stories get to the bottom of our own sorrow and grief and what's broken in the world like this story. And no other stories can grant us the joy and hope and peace that we really long for like this story can. And one of the ways you can measure a story, you can measure its quality or its, its value is when you see its ending. This story, this good news, did you catch it? Is, is that God shows mercy to his people, redeems them, restores them, and then sets them into, the, into existence as a people with a purpose. Right? God shows them mercy, and this is the story of the Bible. That God shows mercy to people that don't deserve it, grace to them that have not merited it, and it sets them apart as a people with a purpose, a mission, and a message to tell. Now, as an aspiring storyteller, I tell the end of the story, and, the, and there's, there's part of me that's kind of like, I, I don't want to give away the ending, right? I don't want to give it away, like, oh, Jesus wins again, and I kind of want to surprise you with it. But that's just my own selfish, narcissistic tendencies. As a proclaimer of the gospel, I want to give away the end of this story every chance I get. Th this is how the story ends. Now here's the catch. You can measure the value of a story by how the end of the story stirs your heart. For example, if here's this, this is my observation. The end of an unsatisfying story is called a spoiler. The end of the most satisfying story is classified as good news. An unsatisfying story, if I tell you the end of it, it'll make you kind of not want to watch it. Right? If, I, if I give you this spoiler on, on a movie that you want to see or a story or a book that you want to read, hey, this is how it ends. And, and, it, and then when I do that, it, you know what this feels like. It, it, it kind of diminishes your, your intrigue and your excitement for the story. But that's not the case with this story. For those who have been captivated by this story, the more we hear the ending, the more we long for it to be true. The more we see how this ends, the more we want to see more of it now. And the more that this story that ends in victory and joy and a removal of all that is broken is a cause for celebration. We don't find ourselves saying, well, I don't want you know, to hear the rest of that story. We find ourselves saying, like, what's next? How, how much longer? What, what's going to happen now before we get to the end? So I want to walk through a few observations at the beginning of this chapter. We'll spend the next three weeks, as we'll see, for us, a gospel, the community that the gospel creates, and the mission that it compels us on. And you'll see here uh, hints of this, the, the good news of Christ's victory and his return to restore all things. But then you see that, you'll see through the rest of the chapters that something else happens, is that they become a people marked by the presence of God. But then also they, they have a purpose that extends to the glory, literally, of all the nations. This story is too good to keep a secret. All of the nations are drawn into it. The end of a bad story is a spoiler, but the end of this story, we as Christians call good news. It's captivated our heart. It, we're enchanted by it. And all I'll tell you is if, if telling you the end of the story spoils it for you, then the story's lame. The story's no good. And so I want to say, and if the story that has enchanted your heart 
isn't this story. If the story that mesmerizes you, the, the thing that, that like the, the happy ending that you really long for, if it doesn't involve Jesus coming to be with you, if it doesn't involve the creator of the universe being back with you and with me, then guess what I have for you? A spoiler alert. If the story that has enchanted you, that has mesmerized your heart, that, that you lived your life trying to reenact or trying to come to pass, is not the story of Jesus restoring all things and making them new, then friends, you are on your way to a spoiler. And you even saw that toward the, the judgment, the wrath of God poured out for those who have been enchanted by lesser stories. Did you just catch that in the last couple of verses? And I know you're like, oh, fire and brimstone sermon. Oh no. Well, I mean, again, you're going to hate the teachings of Jesus. He's the one who speaks of hell the most. Why? Because to be satisfied by a lesser story is to experience the greatest and awful trauma that anyone can imagine. So I want to give away the story. This is the story. It's, it's why everything, uh, hopefully in our church, is the way that it is. It's a story that I believe that has infiltrated all of creation because that's how God wired it story that out of death comes resurrection we consider that this story is not yet over so verse one then i saw a new heaven and a new earth new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and then there was a city these people that were a bride that we find out are, are the very people of god and the city of god and, and god comes to dwell with them so let me summarize for the next three weeks this god shows grace and creates a people with a purpose you see it at the end of the story, you will see it every single book of the Bible you read. God shows mercy, shows grace, and he creates, out of his grace, people with a purpose. But I want you to see the pieces of that. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The effects of the person and work of Jesus are cosmic in scale. Did you catch that? The new heaven, new earth, the, the language of heaven and earth, or like the heaven and earth and under the earth. This is the language from the entirety of the Bible that, that's, that simply encompasses all of creation, all the universe, all that we know exists. And notice what it says. All of existence will experience a resurrection. That which was will be no more. And you see a, a list of things here that that were, that are no more. And then you'll see a list of things that are not and will come true. New heaven and new earth. Now, why do I say that? Because if you live as an American Westerner, you have been steeped in what I would just simply the doctrine of individualism. Right? You really believe that joy and hope is, is something personal and individualized. It's, it's in you. Like you don't see it as a group. Right? You don't see it as something you experience as a family. It's something that you experience by yourself. And here's what I want to tell you. The gospel does renew individual people. You see, he'll list how that happens in this, in this passage. But it's not just that. The renewal that we experience when our eyes are open to this enchanting story of God's redemption of his people is cosmic. It's not just something that you can hide away. It's not just something that affects you. It, this, this ought to begin to like crack open like the, that kind of self-centeredness. Like, oh, this is bigger than me. And I know some of you have never thought there's anything bigger than you. But consider, if you will, a story much bigger than you. 
all of heaven, all of earth, all of the created order, whole, everything you can imagine that exists, every single bit of it, all things new, we see him saying here, this all things is the scale that Jesus is working. Well, look, our current circumstances point to that which is to come and yet those circumstances are transient. Did you catch that? There's a, a new heaven and a new earth, but then it says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, you know what this feels like. Anytime you've looked at the world and thought, this is not what it should be like. Anytime you've experienced brokenness or disappointment, you know like, man, things are, things, there's a, something in us that like things are getting worse. Things are, th things are not really being fixed, right? It's like the 20th century, the, the dawn of the industrial age and the, the dawn of the, the, the greatest technology human beings have ever had at their fingertips gave way to the bloodiest century in the history of the world. We're like, all this technology, we're so smart, we're so good, and it's like, yeah, except we use it to kill everybody, right? Like, you're meant to see, like, man, this, this, is, this is, even as it gets better, it seems to not get better. And you know what this feels like. It's passing away. It's subject to decay, Paul tells the Romans. All of creation is subjected. It's groaning. It's crying out for relief. And so, our current circumstances, notice they're connected to, there's a first earth and a second earth, or, or excuse me, a first earth and heaven, but then there's a, another, a new earth, a new heaven that comes. So notice it doesn't say something different, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mention there, there was heaven and earth, and then there's this whole other thing. It's like, no, 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 no. The old heaven and earth will in some way point to this new one. It'll, there'll be features of it that remind us. And so notice, it doesn't, erase current existence instead it exalts it our current circumstances the one in which you live point to something cosmic point to something eternal and yet at the same time they're transient they're on their way out and so this is an encouragement for us your day has meaning your thoughts your ideas your actions your words it has meaning it will echo in eternity. It will point to something. Even though it's evidently transient and it's going away, there'll be echoes of it that will last forever. Friend, you matter. Don't believe the lies that tell you you're insignificant, that you're a waste. You are not. Even that which is wasting away, did you catch it? We'll experience something new. Notice something else. One day, chaos will be no more. Did you catch that phrase? Many of you will know this. Like, it says, the sea was no more. The sea, now I know that many of you love the beach. I believe there are mountain people and beach people, or like mountain, right? And I apologize for all these other people who like water, right? But the sea throughout the entirety of the Bible is a symbol for chaos. It's a symbol, it's a symbol for like, you can see across the Old Testament, even the New Testament, the sea is a symbol for chaos. After all, if you, were that, if you lived at that, you know, centuries ago and didn't have a GPS, I probably wouldn't get on a boat either, okay? And, and so, like, many people were lost to it, right? Many people would, would explore on this and not come back. And so it symbolized chaos. And, and even if you remember, the, the first story in the Bible is that, that evidently the world was in this formless and void and empty shape, and yet God filled it, and, and over, the, over the expanse of the waters came creation. That is, we're meant to have the picture of out of chaos came beauty and order, and that's the creative nature of God. But notice how this story ends. The sea is no more. 
Now again, for you lake people and beach people, I'm certain that God will have something much more glorious, more infinitely glorious than any beach or lake you've ever been in, okay? He's not going to rob this from you. But, but symbolically speaking, the chaos will be no more. And all I know to tell you is in 2020, that, that feels like good news. I'm exhausted by the uncertainty. I have no idea. If people, ask, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. And here's the problem. After I say I don't know a, a, a certain number of times, then I start saying I don't know and I don't care. And for those of us who are worn out, worn out by the uncertainty, did you catch this? That chaos, that unpredictability will be no more. It's gone. It's gone. And in its place will be the most dependable, steadfast presence and love of God himself. One day the chaos will be gone. But notice something else. Our present sorrows will be the place of our greatest comfort. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I, I weep just thinking about that. They won't be erased. They won't be forgotten. Notice that. It doesn't say that your tears, your sorrow, the suffering in the world will be abolished necessarily. What, what does it say? It will be wiped away. Don't you long for the day when in, in the most tender and powerful way the God of the universe reaches down and wipes away the tears streaming from our own face? And that's hope for us. The place where you're experiencing the most sorrow right now won't be forgotten. Instead, it will be the place and the source of greatest joy. The Lord, we know this, is near to the brokenhearted. The, the Lord is not up there and out there. The Lord is with us in our suffering. Our suffering has meaning. It will evidently in some mysterious way be the place where we will experience the greatest comfort. Friend, have you lost something valuable? Well, grieve. Grieve. Don't blow it off. Don't try to act like it's not a big deal. Grieve. It, it hurts. It's awful. It's sorry. Sin is grotesque every time you look at it. But know that one day, a comfort that you can't even fathom or imagine right now will be a reality for you in that place where right now you experience the greatest emptiness. It's going to wipe their tear away. And then, look at this, death will be no more. Death will be no more. And, and then there's going to be no more mourning. Think of it this way. There, there's a sense in which we ought to, it says no crying, pain, the former things that are gone. Think of it. There's a sense in which, in some mysterious way, we're invited to actually relish in these things. We're going to relish in suffering and mourning and pain because one day we won't be able to anymore. Right? There's, there's, it's going to be like a museum. You ever seen that? Like you walk into a museum and you're like, I can't believe they used to live like this. Right? You ever seen it? You're just like, what? How, who, who did this? I mean, I, I love, you know, you clean out like grandma and grandpa's house and you find some artifact and, 
And you're like, what is this? I mean, we, I, I moved a 120-pound cash register out of the attic of, of my in-laws some years ago so that we could play with this antique. And you're like, ching, ching, ching. You know, it's like, and, and there's a sense in which I can't believe people did this, right? I can't believe people lived like this. Friend, one day there will be a miraculous and mysterious museum. And we will walk through its halls. And on the walls will be pictures and images of mourning, of crying, of sorrow and suffering. And we will look along with Jesus and marvel. I can't believe anyone lived like this. I can't believe this is the way things were. And your present suffering and sorrow, get this, it's going to be an artifact in a museum. And in some weird, I know this is going to sound strange, but like, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Not in this superficial, like, fleeting kind of desire for happiness. Well, you know that's not possible. But just look at your sorrow and suffering and just see them for what they are. Things that will one day end up at the bottom of a landfill. They will have no value to anyone. Only value insofar as they are artifacts. Leftovers of a life past. Remnants of something that now has been made new because of Christ. It says, behold, I'm making all things new. Friend, this is the story. This is the story that has enchanted our hearts, that Jesus has come, conquered, and now he's going to come back. He has come to destroy all of sin, and he will one day come back and destroy all suffering. He will come back and make all things right. This is the story that matters. Now here, if, if you hear me say these things, and, and maybe your first response is cynicism or skepticism, like, yeah, right, it can't possibly be that good. I want, I want you to see something here. It just means that your heart is captivated by another story. And your story, the thing that captivates your heart, you know, right, like, who are you? What's really true about you? What's coming? What's your future look like? What's on the horizon for you? As a church, I want you to see that all other stories, and including our own story, only have value insofar as they point toward and fit into this larger gospel story. Our story will somehow, it won't be erased. Did you catch that? It won't be erased. It'll be wrapped up in this story. What Jesus is doing isn't going to make us disappear. He's going to draw us into it. He's going to make it all new, and then we're going to dwell with him. We're going to we're going to celebrate this with him. Elsewhere we saw we're going to reign with him. This story is true and it's powerful. And all other stories have value insofar as they simply fit into this one. Think of it this way. Sin, as the Bible understands it, is simply looking for satisfaction in another story and another storyteller. And I know many of you imagine you're the narrator of your own story, right? And we can all tell we're all props in your play, right? But like, I just want to tell you that's an unsatisfying story. And sin is, in essence, finding hope in, being enchanted by, being mesmerized by, having our affection stirred by a story less than this one. And so, friend, if you're chasing some other story, I, I, I just want to tell you, I have a spoiler alert. It will not end well. This is the story, and it is the one into which we are invited. So therefore, repentance, as we think about it in the church, is, is simply acknowledging the insufficiency of other stories. For some of you, the happy ending is, is, right, is that you would get the job you wanted. 
The happy ending for you is the status that you wanted. The happy ending for you is to have the family you wanted. The happy ending for you is to, to have the boyfriend or girlfriend or the husband or wife that you've always wanted. To have the, the child that you always I'm going to tell you, these are all good and beautiful things that God has provided for us to enjoy. But that story is insufficient to satisfy the deepest longings in your own heart. So yes, pursue, yes, live this story out, but live that story in light of the greater, more satisfying one. And live in such a way that points to it. And turn from, the Bible would say, repent of, dismiss any other story. They're insufficient to satisfy. Because that story that you currently tell it's not over. This is especially important if you're like me. If it's not a real great story. What's your story? What's your my, my story is like I'm, I'm, I, can, I can hear the prophecies spoken over me my whole life, right? Disappointment. My story, like a lot of potential, but probably going to mess it up in the end. Feel that? Anyone tell that story to themselves? Is that the narrative you live in? It's mine. But that isn't the end of the story. <laughs> the end of the story is that one day I'm going to be a son in the house of the Father, hanging out with my brother Jesus, experiencing all comfort, all satisfaction, with no more mourning, no more dissatisfaction, no more disappointment. Only those things being made new. Friend, I don't know where you are, but this isn't the end of the story. This isn't the end of the story. And how do I know that? How do I know that's true? How do I know this story is the best story? Well, and how I know that like wherever you are right now doesn't have to be the end of the story. I know it because I've, I've, I've skipped to the end here and I'll tell you how this story goes. There were some people in a garden walking in communion with God but they rebelled against God and did their own thing. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because of their sin and, and judgment upon their rebellion, they, they were enslaved. But that wasn't the end of the story. They wandered and, and they made gods for themselves and worshipped them instead of their father God. But, but that wasn't the end of the story either. But they were given a promised land and, and instead of enjoying it, they did whatever was right in their own eyes. But that wasn't the end of the story either. They lived in exile and they, they, they lived under the, the punishment of their sin and, and they even experienced four centuries of silence from God. But that wasn't the end of the story. There was a young woman who had never been with a man. That wasn't the end of the story. There was no room for them in the end, but that was not the end of the story. He was not comely. He was not handsome. He was not spectacular that we should esteem him, but that was not the end of the story. He was betrayed and abandoned by his best friends, left to die on a cross, but that isn't the end of the story. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Here's the fun part. Even that isn't the end of the story. He sent his disciples out to, to declare the good news of his victory. He ascended to the Father and is interceding for his people at this moment. But even that is not the end of the story. One day he will come back. He will right every wrong. He will make perfect every injustice. 
He will make whole all that is broken. Friend, I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't know what your story is. But can I give you a spoiler alert? There's a good story here that we believe is good news. And wherever you find yourself, maybe if you're like me, your, your story right now is marked by grieving. I feel like I've lost a lot in the last four months. Maybe your story is marked by failure, rejection. Maybe if you look in the mirror, you're like, I'm a failure, I'm worthless. Can I interrupt your thoughts for just one moment? Stir your imagination. That isn't the end of the story. Let's pray together that we might believe and receive this good news. God, thank you so much that you saw fit not to abandon us or leave us to our own devices, but you came to be with us and for us in Christ. God, we confess we are mesmerized. We are, we are so easily enchanted by, by the things of this earth. And I, I confess that when, when I hear that these things are passing away, part of me is sad because I like them. I like, I like, I like my little earthly kingdom. So we confess to you that we are often so easily enchanted by lesser stories. We're so tempted to believe the stories that end with us being worthless, rejected, abandoned, forgotten. Thank you that that is not the true story. That's just a chapter. That's a footnote. It's a sentence in the greater story of your redeeming all things and making them new. If there's some in this room, and, and maybe right now they're, they're simply here and their lives are marked by hopelessness, confusion, uncertainty, might you even now begin to grant them the, the eyes to consider the possibility that, that this will not be the end, that there is an end coming because of Christ, an invitation into this story to experience hope and joy together, even now knowing that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed one day. Maybe for the rest of us, we, we've heard this story. Maybe we've even rehearsed it a lot. We've, we've, we've kind of chanted it. We've gone through the motions. But if we were honest, it, it isn't that enchanting to us. It doesn't stir our affections because we love lesser things. Might even today, we be, we, we, might we be invited into confessing and turning from those stories might we be a church that regularly rehearses and celebrates our own stories of your grace as a part and piece of this grand story of redemption that you are bringing to pass and will one day bring to completion. We thank you for this story and we thank you for the name of Jesus that is the climax and happy ending to all of these stories. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.